Working with entrepreneurs, innovators, futurists, a little bit like tap water for me. It's always available. You have to learn how to turn it on and turn it off. So just because you have a great idea doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to execute it seamlessly. I rather call myself a storyteller than a PR agency. Hi, and welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. My name's Paul Fairweather. And I'm Chris Meredith. And Chris and I are on a mission to lift the veil on creativity in business through the lens of ideas, stories, and visual cognition. And today's guest is all the way from San Jose in California, Donna Laughlin. And Donna is somebody who is very difficult to pigeonhole. She runs her own PR business focused on IT, technology, and new business. Um, She's a serial entrepreneur. She's helped to start 500 businesses, and she runs also a fascinating podcast called Before It Happened, or it might be Before IT Happened. Get it? (laughs) Yes. So her PR company is LMG PR, and she explained to me that it's the Laughlin Michaels PR group, but in playing with letters, she tells me that when her kids were young, they called it the Lion Mouse George Peter Rabbit um, company, and uh, that's what she did all day. She herded lions and played with mice and uh, the mice that ruled. So, look, we had a very entertaining conversation with Donna and learned lots of things and, again, a different perspective on uh, creativity and storytelling. If you're a person listening to this and you have half a business idea, you think, should I make it a startup? She shed some wonderful insights on how to tell whether your idea has got legs and also who you need with you to bring it to market. Let's get her on. Let's get her on. Donna, welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. I'm so excited to join you today. <laughs> Great to see you on the show, Donna. Very kindly to join us. Um, Donna, just before we get into the, the meat of creativity, uh, give us a quick potted history about how you got to be where you are. Oh, a quick pot. Well, um, you know, I, I've actually started my career when I was about eight years old, which is a little crazy. But my uh, father and his brothers owned a, a printing and publishing company, so owned 40 of the, uh, the regional newspapers and also the printing uh, business that you know, produced all those papers. And so after school, my daycare, before I went to kindergarten, but preschool and then after school, probably till I was around uh, 12 years old, I spent my afternoons uh, doing my homework in the back of the print shop, learned everything that one needed to understand about printing, graphics, uh, and how uh, early, I'm going to say very early um, stage camera and uh, negative, you know, type of work production work as well as early use of computers, uh, high performance, you know, all types of typesetting equipment. But where I really latched onto was going out as a junior news reporter with my uncle and interviewing people. So by the time I was ready for college, I had 10 years experience uh, on, my, on my CV or resume and uh, entered college with a pretty precocious, what I thought, view of the world and was challenged even more. Um, by digging my heels into more science, innovation, and technology as as my passion, but writing really my talent. Yeah, fantastic. 
Uh, since then, you, you host a very, very successful podcast called Before It Happened. Um, and it seems to me that being based in Silicon Valley, you couldn't get us better... Um, place to explore the world of entrepreneurship, creativity, and, and people coming with amazing new minds. Uh, my question is, what inspired you to launch the podcast? Um, never a dull moment in the Silicon Valley. You know, one of the things that, you know, I grew up in the Silicon Valley before it was called the Silicon Valley. And one of the reasons I kind of went back and acclimated myself, you know, from a news reporter covering business and economics, ultimately, I could not get enough of the science and innovation and technology that was happening. At that time, it was the networking boom, then it became the dot-com um, era, and now where we are now. Uh, and I don't think we're going to be replaced by, by chatbots, but um, I do have a purpose for them I'll, I'll share with you at <laughs> some point. But I think one of the things about the Silicon Valley is a continuous Good. feeding ground for innovation and tech. It actually has um, a culture and a vibe of its own. And one of the things that I, I highly appreciate about that is that it's continuous. And so working with entrepreneurs, innovators, futurists um, is a little bit like, you know, tap water for me. It's always available. You have to learn how to turn it on and turn it off. Sometimes it's too much. <laughs> That's funny. Now, just, just a clarification. It's called Before It Happens. Chris and I were debating before you came on. Is it it or IT happened? Or oh, is it no. both? I think and I, a show about IT, I don't think that many people would tune in. Well, maybe some would. No, it's before it happened, which is that moment that, that the innovator ultimately decided it was going to put all the chips out on the table, trade the dog in for a cat, sell the car, and all those miraculous things that we know that, that entrepreneurs do to bring their products to market. So it's really behind the scenes when it happened, when they ultimately decide to take their idea to market. And not, some of the companies and the innovators are a little more established than others. I like to use the word acorns, meaning that eventually they'll, they'll grow majestically and become, you know, a, a, a unicorn. But uh, I think, that, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about the acorns is that sometimes some of the biggest innovators are kind of buried and nested underneath know these majestic oak trees is to use the imagery I, I i love that i've never thought of that uh, analogy that an acorn can grow into a unicorn um that's um, maybe a bit maybe a bit corny but i've never thought of that um, when, when you talk about the acorn I, I only can think of ice age with the little squirrel that the whole time is trying to oh, yeah. save that one acorn gotcha. um but yeah, acorns, acorns to unicorns. I, uh, I love that idea. I'd love to know, when you have a guest on the show, and looking back at the shows, you've had a rocket scientist, somebody who's, who's kind of exploring the metaverse, some, a serial entrepreneur, somebody who deals with identity theft. Um, when you chat to them, can you tell whether they're onto something really big that is going to become a unicorn? And, and can you tell you thinking, oh my goodness, that's never going to fly? Are you, do you have those antennae now that you've spoken to so many creative entrepreneurs? No, I've launched 500 companies. So outside the podcast, I've worked with you know, a really big array of, of scientists and, and just passionate, um, I'm going to call them cha agents of change. And I'm always looking for emerging technologies. And, some, and, and because I've worked with so many, I do think I can cite, you know, a little bit like the movie Inspector Gadget. We don't need everything that's inside the cloak. 
And I stand back and I look at uh, innovation and now my where I zoom in on is, you know, consciousness. Is this a meaningful product that we actually need or service that we need? Is it going to help, you know, us be better people or humans in medical practices or education or transportation? Sustainability is another area um, that I look at very closely, or I like to say responsibility. And so I think with any technologies, regardless of the era that we're in, is that there's going to be good and there's going to be bad. And so I've had food scientists on my show, as well as robotics, you know, experts and others in, you know, in, in health and awareness. The, the markets aren't really as important as the problem they're solving and the approach that they're taking to solve that problem. That um, just that, that intersection of food and robotics, we went to a, a Japanese restaurant last night that used to be a sushi train and they've replaced it with a robot. Uh, and we were sitting only a few metres away from where they were preparing the food, and they would stick it on the robot and hit the button, and it would bring it to us, and then they would come over and take it off the, <laughs> off, off the shelves of the robot. <laughs> it, was, it was really... I, I just thought, what is the point? But anyway, um, that, that's very interesting, your insights in, about uh, you know, what may work and might not work. Who was making the food? A robot or a human? Oh, that, no, no. It was, it was, you know, it was a couple of Japanese chefs in behind it. So it, it was replacing the, you know, the old sushi train, and they'd done it with a robot instead. Gotcha. And it was, it, was, it was quite funny, really, uh, watching this thing sort of zip past. Um, and they didn't always come and unload the food, but it just seemed to be, you know, there was certainly enough staff there that they could have delivered the food. Uh, it was really a, a novelty. Um, but uh, yes, I, I, I thought there's a technology that, yeah, maybe maybe we don't necessarily need um, just yet. I had a conversation today with a an engineer, an innovator, uh, and we were talking about the chat GPT, and he actually had a real rational view of that, and because there's a lot of chatter about it, right? And his rational view was he uses it a little bit for research as he's developing his products, but he always challenges and questions in the discovery process what chat the robot delivers back. So although the artificial intelligence is there, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's real intelligent, right? And so we do need to challenge and question. I think as science in general and in technology is that we always need to have that curiosity of so what, who cares, which is common in the editorial world, but I think we need to challenge and question things. And the fact that people are talking about chat you know, in artificial intelligence is a healthy conversation. Listen, this is something that you know, we're very interested in to drill down. And I see on your CV, you, know, you, you have a lot of experience in this AI. We've had a few guests recently speaking specifically about AI, uh, one particularly about Mind Journey and Dali, the, the visual ones, uh, and you know, the whole issue of you know, copyright or you know, permission. Um, I don't know what's behind the chat GPT, but do you have in your conversations, has there been anything around this thing about where that information is coming from and whether, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, easily accessible or is it, is it breaching, you know, um, copyright rules? Well, I think it's a combination of things. And, and in fact, as a, as a former reporter, I question copyright, right? You know, where is it pulling from? Uh, is it you know using just you know Google and Wikipedia and all resources? Uh, it's I've done a couple experiments and and I've found a lot of flaws uh, 
you know, humans, you know, we have error to make errors as well. But I found just a lot of factually incorrect <laughs> data points. And I know within the North America media, there have been a couple, a number of outlets have actually published stories using uh, chat GPT only to be called to their feet and apologizing profusely that um, article was written, you know, by, you know, by um, an AI robot. And they didn't fact check. So I think even if you're going to use something like that, we should fact check. We've got a guest coming up on the show who's been exploring exactly this issue on ChatGPT. And I think his point was that um, ChatGPT is very confident about its sources and what it knows and what it doesn't know. And actually, when you scratch the surface, often... It, it's, it's an unjustified confidence and, and it, it looks like it's more clever than it really is. And that, that was his point is to fact check and to double fact check. But anyway, we'll find out more about that in a forthcoming show. Um, Don, I wanted to talk more, uh, go back to this process that the amazing entrepreneurs and creatives you speak to go through when they come up with their ideas. And particularly, I think your show before it happened looks for that. Light, lightning bolt or that, that light bulb moment when, when a person goes I know I need to invent a, a new super soaker or I, I've got a new way of looking at the metaverse um, and I just wondered if you've learned anything about what triggers those moments and if there are, if there are kind of ways that people listening to this, this podcast can, can harness that creativity more effectively yeah there's two common threads I see one is you know, the founder's story doesn't necessarily start just with the product or innovation idea. And when I talk to, you know, these, you know, idea, I'm going to call them like idea makers, change makers, uh, I had to take them back to their childhood a bit. Like, what was their childhood like? You know, what were they, what were they, um, their, their hobbies and their passions? And I find like with the automotive and EV uh, transportation uh, experts that I work with, they were all passionate about cars and, and things that move and mobility. I talked to, you know, aerospace engineers that, you know, similarly they're pa- passionate about, you know, planes and make paper airplanes and models and stuff. Um, but then it goes, you know, to this next level, which is the purpose. So I think if you have, you know, a great founder story, and we've seen many over the years. Steve Jobs' founder story with Wozniak is, you know, a famous one, right? And there's so many other founders' uh, stories that are not as famous, but equally as compelling. And that's what I try to abstract, is that, that founder's journey. And today, I, for example, I spoke before a future show, somebody who actually is a, a Syrian refugee that created his idea in the midst of the Syrian war and thankfully, you know, was was able to become in safe, you know, safe place in Germany. Otherwise, that idea might never come to market. And and it's, you know, to me, that's just that quest for finding purpose. And so the purpose in this scenario, his founder story is very interesting because of his journey to become a founder. But this purpose of creating something that was going to be highly sustainable and help the consumer electronics industry be more accountable is another component of that. So I, those are the two threads that I see very common is the is the rediscovery and kind of connecting with your childhood and you always say play with your inner child or think like a child. It's really healthy practice. And the second is the purpose. And so the purpose of, you know, not all things. So I say I'm very selective now when I work with, with companies directly one-on-one. 
is I, I need to feel there's compassion, if there's a consciousness behind the idea and product that's coming to market, and it's not, uh, you know, a, a, a Me Too, you know, clone product. And then that, that, that whole, when those two together, come, when they come together, both the founder's journey and the purpose-driven, conscious, meaningful, uh, you know, product or technology, that's where I personally get really excited. And that's where that light bulb moment, I think, really comes on is you actually have somebody that can have both of those stories that I can then wrap into one bigger story. So, so that's that's a wonderful kind of model of thinking. If, so if you're a person listening in thinking, I've kind of got this idea, maybe it's a go, maybe I could launch a business out of it or not, I don't know. It sounds like you've got a, a formula, which is, does it connect with something that you were excited about as a kid, that, you, that you've been a thread throughout your life, be it paper planes or transport or whatever it might be? And then secondly, does it connect with a, a higher purpose? Maybe it's about sustainability. Maybe it's about justice. Maybe it's about whatever it is. But if it's got those two components, then I think what you're saying is your, your suggestion would be go for it. You're onto something. And if maybe one of those is missing, then keep it to that conversation in a bar and go back to your day job. <laughs> would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think one of the things that, that I, I just I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago um, with a fairly new entrepreneur and I was providing wisdom from other on on, things that I've learned from entrepreneurs. Uh, For example, you know, somebody who's, who's had three or four companies and the founder of three or four different companies and, and, and products has had a lot of, you know, misses and, 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 uh, and hopefully a couple of wins in there. A new entrepreneur that's bringing, you know, coming from the technology, engineering, innovation side, and it's now put into the, the role of being an entrepreneur and bringing the idea to market, you know, as a business, has a lot of things to face. So one of the things that I've stepped back and doing on before happened is collecting a whole bunch of my, I'm going to say my portfolio friends that help them make it happen. And so the making it happen people are the venture capitalist and the early stage investors, the product industrial design, uh, manufacturing, product packaging, uh, PR people like myself, marketing, growth scientists. It takes a lot of people to help bring these ideas to market. So just because you have a great idea doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to execute it seamlessly. And that's one of the things that I've received a lot of requests from people listening. I have a great product. I want to bring it to market. I have no idea where to start. And so, you know, before it happened and then now pushing that out to what I call it, making it happen. How do you make it happen? How do you bring that to market? I see. Uh, One of our future guests, Donna, is uh, Scott, Scott, Scott Belsky, who, as you know, Scott, um, uh, VP at Adobe, but started um, 99% um, uh, the conference. But he, he wrote a book, Make It Happen. So we're really looking forward to that. Do, do you know? Do you know Scott? I know. I, I haven't met him, but I'm right. I'm adjacent, right next to Adobe. So this, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated, Donna, because because you, you, uh, I can see a sort of a third part of this model for creative entrepreneurs building up, which is like the childhood kind of passions, the, the sense of purpose, and then having got that idea to find people who can make it happen. And, and I think what you're suggesting is that they they may well be different from the people with the idea or the, the change makers. They need to find people who know how to take an idea and move it forward into something that people might buy. 
It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, and oftentimes I, I get involved with companies before the product is shipping. So I do meet the industrial designer and the materials person and the packaging and all those components. So although I went from editorial and telling the stories to hands-on bringing, you know, I stopped counting up 500. I figure 500 is a good enough number for credibility. Companies to products to market is that there there is this huge ecosystem that needs to be collectively brought together. Don, I want to ask a question about you because my mind is going like this and this and this, which is um, you, we've talked about your podcast. You describe yourself as a PR person. If I'm right, you kind of run your own PR agency and you've thrown in almost as a, a sideline. I've launched around 500 businesses. So it, what I, what, how do you manage your time? This is amazing <laughs> list of accomplishments and us ordinary mortals might cope with getting out of bed and making a cup of tea that's kind of where I set my goals so so how do you manage your time what what is your priority I guess is what I'm saying okay you're gonna you're not gonna like my answer to this at all I value sleep I value uh <laughs> I, I value my dog walks highly value my and she highly values them too well a little wire fox terrier will take me out five times a day if if she had her way uh you know, it's about, it's, this doesn't take balance. For me, it's agility. And I start my day, my typical day is I have to, certain news feeds that I read, and a lot of them are science and technology and business. I look, I weed out the nonsense very quickly. Um, I do, still do media relations, and so it's very important as storytelling. I, I rather call myself a storyteller than a, than a, a PR, even though I own a PR agency. Because I like crafting stories. Narration, the narrative stories are very important in, in helping um, move companies to market. So I spend a great deal of my day doing exactly uh, that, is working with my clients and kind of curating a funnel, a next funnel. And I'm always looking for things that we can latch on. So looking at trends, looking at the, the news happenings of the day, uh, and then being able to take all that and then some of it purpose it back into the funnel of the podcast. The reason I created the podcast during the pandemic is because I didn't want to be isolated during a podcast. I was going to write a book, and now I'm writing my book. But I was at the time working on my book, and I had to step back and realize I'm going to be alone for who knows how long. And uh, mm-hmm. and, and so the podcast was born, and now the book is you know in the process of, you know, it will hopefully walk in 2023. It's crawling right now, <laughs> but for me, it's it, I just I'm a sponge. You know, I love technology and innovation. I love storytelling. It just runs through my, through me, you know, through my DNA. But I do like my eight hours of sleep, so I'm I'm not immortal. You're, Donna, you're speaking out you're speaking our language, uh, uh, because you know Chris and I are all about um, storytelling and ideas and. We have another layer. Both Chris and I are visual artists. I'm a painter. Chris is a photographer, and and we see the importance of imagery in in sort of often as a metaphor of linking the idea and the story. Um, you've spoken a lot about you know writing and journalism. Do you have a, a view or experience around around the the use of imagery in that in that process? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm in discovery process is a couple of things that I'm pretty adamant about, and they'll be in my book as well. One is I challenge people to look up 
I fly. I'm a private pilot. I know all about situational awareness. I'm constantly having, I, have, I do not have a rear view mirror. And so I constantly need to be aware. And I think in, in this particular mobile world where people are kind of looking at things waist high, they forget the look up, they forget the look around, they forget the look and appreciate simple things like the, the sunrise, the sunset. As a photographer, and I love documentary photography um, as an art form, but when I, I think this is one of the things that photographers do really well is they constantly have a lens of looking at the world differently. And I think we need to look at not the obvious, but we need to look at the unobvious. And so I take that in, in, into, you know, metaphorically, I take that into my storytelling. And the tools that I'm putting in my book are... I don't think I'm inventing anything new. They're just kind of basic common sense. It's like you got to look up. you got to look at things differently. You have to take yourself out of your zip code. Take yourself out of your comfort zone. And we were all came into this world naked. And we were all given, you know, this, you know what I call your, your zip code or your zone or your, your wherever your mailbox, you know, reside. But once you start seeing the world and exploring and Meeting and socializing with people and travel is one of the best educations, I think, is that your lens opens up. And so I think uh, people often turn, we get distracted. I turn my phone off when I drive because I want to enjoy, I saw the most beautiful sunset yesterday, and I probably wouldn't have even noticed it if I had been talking on the phone. It's, it's, uh, it's wonderful, and again, an amazing checklist you've given us. So, which which is kind of um, look up, turn your phone off, look around, notice things, take yourself out of your own comfort zone, and that might be travelling. It might be meeting people you wouldn't otherwise meet with. Um, I, I, for what it's worth, this this fits completely. We've just completed a season on the neuroscience of creativity, and I think the professors we've spoken to would wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. So the importance of sleep, the importance of the mind being in that slightly relaxed state, could be when you're driving, could be when you're jogging, all those kind of things. Um, to me, this fits completely with the idea of a creative mind, an entrepreneurial mind. And so, um, yeah, I wouldn't, if I, I wouldn't feel guilty about that. Yeah, I, I think it's important to know how to unplug. And when I, and I say that, meaning... Don't be stupid or unsafe, right? You, you need to keep your, your 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 mobile device for security and safety, you know, reasons. Particularly if you're in some place that's un, unknown. But I think it's we're so used to being connected all the time. We're so used to saying hello, Alexa. Hello, you know, Siri. How about saying hello? To somebody when you're walking down the street, it's a really good common practice. And when I kids were little, I remember walking on uh, the little downtown area in my in my village, so to speak. And they start giggling after we passed this girl. And I said, what's so funny? And they're like, they're at the time, they were like 12 and 13. And they go, oh, that, that's our, our friend. Like, and, and I said, but you didn't say hello. And they said, oh, no, we are on Snapchat together. And I just kind of took that and said, I was just really, I mean, you used the word, word my father would say, gobsmacked. I was just like, I couldn't believe that that's exactly what they were thinking because I figured we're socially connected. That's the same way as having a relationship. And so I kind of, I was so befuddled. And so we had a conversation about human interaction and, and communications and the importance of that. And I saw the same thing in my own office environment that my team members were using Slack and chat 
and other and, and message when they're literally right across the room from each other trying to solve a problem. And I would say, well, hi, Michelle, meet, you know, Robert, you know, we're working on this project. Why don't we just meet in the room for a few minutes? And then instead of going back and forth and chat when you're like two feet from each other. So I think sometimes we get lazy um, and we forget that we need to reconnect with like the normal act. And this is why I don't think humans, and I work with a lot of robotics companies, connective thinking and in, in connective skills are not going to be replaced by robots. I think the very task mm. rudimentary driven things can be the way you described your dinner with your robots um, sounded like might have slowed down the process of getting your food and definitely entertaining. But I think there is a lot to be said about common human interaction and, and acts of communication and pleasure. I like saying hello to people. Yeah, well, actually, interesting, Donna, the conversation um, when we we sat down and we started eating and we'd only been given two place settings and there were four of us, and the guy came over and he was really apologetic. And I said, that's fine. I said, just blame the robot. And he was like, yeah, okay, oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> but, you know, we had a nice chat with him. And, look, I think that's the whole thing. That's that's what those people are missing. Uh, you know, it's it's a Japanese restaurant and, you know, it's just that, that whole, you know, like it's... I think it's you know really misinformed, and, and the point that you're making there is is true. And I have teenage children, and so I'm experiencing that now to a huge degree um, about this chat, chat, Snapchat, and all these things. And it's it's really amazing. Uh, yeah, it's 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 scary, and I don't, I don't know how to how to deal with it. Yeah, well, it's, it's a TikTok and Snapchat, you, you know, and Facebooks for old people. I hear it all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just before we to wrap up, there was a, a story that Chris, Chris was mentioning in that one of your podcasts, which I thought was a great uh, story of uh, your, your NASA person who, who made an invention when he was trying to do something else. Can you tell that story? Oh, uh, well, that's the magical story. Yeah, it's really interesting that you spend your entire life's labor um, as a researcher working for NASA and working on on you know, top secret projects, literally the stealth plane, right? But you're you're ultimately going to history for being the inventor of the super soaker, which was kind of a kind of this a, a passionate hobby at NASA, looking to have something that would would precisely shoot water. But then it just became child's play in his discovery process, and then he took it to market, left NASA. And, and it was an independent researcher, and NASA never wanted anything to do with the idea, so he patented it and he brought it to market, and it became, you know, the fanboy of every everyone's summer fun, right? And so Dr. Lonnie Johnson, yeah. such a delightful um, in person, but I, the thing that I also sparked my attention about Kim was how humble he was in all the years of being in research. He grew up in the civil rights era as a young boy, and then and enter college he was faced with a lot of you know challenges and and oftentimes the the you know the the hero's journey and and the and the entrepreneurial you know uh, founder's journey has many obstacles such as i mentioned the you know the founder that actually i mean how do you go from aeros a, a a sicilian aerospace engineer who is not a vegan to uh, to leaving your corporate job as an aerospace engineer to create 
vegan-based cheese. I mean, that's that's the journey right there. <laughs> then to my conversation I had this morning, you know, a Syrian refugee and how you take that and you turn it into passion. Dr. Lonnie Johnson, his challenge, you know, had to do with this you know, during the equality and civil rights. And even though he became a highly, you know, recognized, distinguished, uh, re, you know, scientist with PhDs, it was still a question or not whether or not he was the one to take the project to the next level. And it shouldn't be, you know, a question of of of, of, of uh, color, but of, of capabilities. And so mm. I think that his glory to me was laughing all the way to the bank, in a sense, with the super soaker. But here he was. He had created and been a part of these major, major projects that that I was very aware, very aware, aware of when those projects went public. And to think he just had a little bit of fun with this and made it his own. And I think that's pretty admirable. No, that's, that is fantastic. And um, not to put a dampener on things, un- unfortunately our time has come up. Um, I love it, the fact that we're talking about the spark of an idea and it's all about soaking people with water. Um, so... <laughs> Um, thank you for for sharing those stories and also your insights and your own experience. It has been really um, uh, captivating, and I will certainly be subscribing and listening to more of your your podcast episodes. Um, we might have to steal some of your guests, I think. <laughs> more than happy to share the wealth. Yes, fantastic. Well, Donna, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, I noticed on, one thing I meant to mention. I noticed on your thing that you. You called, uh, you're from the land of heart's delights. Is that right? Land of heart's yeah, delights? That's what Silicon know. Valley was called before it became Silicon Valley. It was deep, you know, agriculture. There still is agricultural, you know, huge agriculture in California. Uh, Central Valley and in, this, in, in the um, Steinbach County and Salinas Valley and all that area. But I literally grew up on an apricot ranch, and that whole area is literally concrete. You know, they put concrete on the land, you know, was apple and cherry orchards where apple computer came from. So you can see for miles and miles and miles some of the most fertile land, and we put concrete on it. But it was that was the name before it was called the Silicon Valley. So a different sort of a different sort of fertility now, obviously fertile mines rather than the yeah. lines. Uh, well, and and. and Stories. So I, I'll just say one last thing. You haven't heard of uh, heard of uh, Lick Observatory. Look it up. Uh, it is it is on top of Mount Hamilton Road in the majestic view of the entire valley. But it was one of the first innovation stories that ever came out of the Silicon Valley. You create a, an observatory on top of a hill, and you put a telescope that you bring all the way from France, and it's cracked, and you don't give up. Look it up. It's a very fascinating story. Fantastic. Well, we'll uh, we, we will we'll follow that story up. Um, Donna, thank you so much for your time and um, and your insights and sharing your stories. So um, uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And from me, Donna, thank you very much. A pleasure to meet you, and I can't wait to tune into the podcast. How it happened. Thank you so much. Wow! Great. Chris, that was fantastic. Wasn't it? What a wonderful show. And what I loved is the way she was able to kind of codify what she's learned from these amazing people she's spoken to and the businesses that she's helped to start up. The idea of, you know, is it a childhood passion of yours? That would that would help to fuel a new business idea. And does it connect to some kind of higher purpose? That, that What wonderful guidelines for new entrepreneurs. In fact, I was just having a chat. We were just having a chat afterwards, Chris, and she was... 
uh, telling us that the book that she's working on that she mentioned is called Five Dollars and Half a Tank of Gas. Um, so it's really about uh, bootstrapping, and, uh, and and it's and it's about her journey and the journey that she helps entrepreneurs with, and helps entrepreneurs and scientists tell their stories in her podcast, which is called Before It Happened. So yeah, so if you enjoyed the show, please give us a rating, um, leave a leave a review, and tell your friends. The more people that hear about it, uh, the better it is for our guests for them to spread the story and Chris and I'll probably get a bit of benefit as well <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us and we hope you'll want to tune in next week for the Common Creative Podcast <laughs>